Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Imagine a scene, ladies and gentlemen, where the public voted for a government in name only. That government never actually occupied Parliament, their leader never actually occupied Downing Street, and the country remained entirely rudderless with civil servants unable to enact any kind of legislation or policy. Imagine that, because that is exactly where we are. The Tories are in office but not in power. The Labour opposition are running around in circles trying to frustrate everything. It is now official. We have completely lost the Brexit plot. This morning, for the first time, I actually feel some measure of despair at the state of our political system. Despite the defections of the TIG group, the setting up of a new Brexit party by Nigel Farage and the ludicrous machinations in Brussels with Donald Tusk and his mates, the chumps in Westminster can't even agree on how many sugars to put in their cappuccinos and their lattes. Surely there has to be a better way than this, doesn't there? Is there anyone out there with an ounce of integrity or even some common sense? 0344 499 1000. As usual, we will steer you through the choppy waters of the next 24 hours but we want to hear from you as well because remember this of course is talk radio it is the voice of the people never mind the people's vote this is the people's voice 0344 499 1000 coming up a little bit later on we'll tell you why you shouldn't have children unless you're absolutely and completely prepared to change your life and I'll be telling you why you shouldn't overshare your private life as well because uh, it can lead you into some tricky situations you're listening to me Mike Graham right here on talk radio the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, imagine my concern and confusion last night when it became clear that the Labour Party have now decided that uh, actually they'd quite like to have a second referendum, even though Jeremy Corbyn has said that he doesn't really want a second referendum, even though many people in the Labour Party have said they don't want a second referendum, despite the fact that they will not be able to get a second referendum because there aren't enough votes in Parliament to get it through. They're going to go for it anyway. So basically, the Labour Party are promising something they can't deliver. The Tories, in the meantime, are saying we are going to take no deal off the table, which is something they can't do either. So we are now in a sort of situation which is like a double negative stalemate, it seems to me. And I don't know where to go to get the answers, right? So I want to hear from you, first of all, 0344 499 1000. And also, I'm now going to talk to the master of spin himself, Mr Alistair Campbell, former chief of communications for Tony Blair, because I don't think even he could spin his way out of this one. Mr Campbell, a very good morning to you. Uh, how are you, Mike? You're obviously a bit discombobulated. Well, I really am. I mean, I've been very calm about all of this. I've been very positive about it. You've seen me uh, down in the tent of shame in Westminster, and I've talked about how we really just need to get on with it. But I've now reached a point of kind of, I don't know what to describe it as. It's a sort of zero-sum stalemate negative. I just, I, you know, I can't think of anything good to say. Well, the reason for that is because... As we get closer to March 29th, it's becoming absolutely uh, clear to, or as clear as anything can be in these circumstances, that 
there's no way of doing this that isn't going to be very, very damaging and very, very worrying. So when you say, and, you know, I've heard you say it before, I've heard your colleague Julia Hartley Brewer endlessly saying, we've just got to get on with it. Mm. It has to mean something. It has to be systems that, you know, don't plunge the country into chaos. And so I think what you're seeing in both um, both of the main parties, um, yes, I understand why people can, you know, find it confusing that every day there's another turn, another twist. It's because the MPs are trying to make sense of what the public voted for in June 2016. But don't you think they're but, complicating but it, though? They're overcomplicating it, aren't they? Say again? I know, aren't they overcomplicating it? It's their fault that it's become so complicated, isn't it? No, I don't think it is their fault. I think it's the, it's the reality of what Brexit is. Look, what's become apparent is that the Brexit that was promised by Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage and all but that lot is not deliverable. And the Brexit that Theresa May is trying to negotiate is not popular with either side. And therefore, you have a situation where the, the MPs, you know, let's be frank, this is, this is a tension that is caused by the conflict, if you like, between what we are, which is a parliamentary representative democracy where we elect MPs to make decisions, and the plebiscite, a referendum, where one of the biggest decisions this country ever takes is handed over to the people uh, in the way that David Cameron did it. But then the MPs do have to then turn that into treaties with other countries that we're leaving. And what you've seen is, is Theresa May trying, you know, trying her best to do that, failing pretty miserably all round. But it's not just about the fact that she's a very bad negotiator. It's the fact that what she's discovered is there's no way of doing this that isn't damaging Britain. And therefore... Well, I would just take take issue with that last statement of yours, Alistair. There is no way of doing this without damaging somebody in Parliament, is where we are, because at the at the end of the day, we have a, a whole, you know, number hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of MPs who are all working for something other than the good of the country. They're all saying they're working for the good of the country, but they're actually all working for their own little secret agendas. We've got these well, TIG... That's, not, that, that, that's, that's an easy thing to say, but I don't... Well, it is, but it's true, though. It's not true. They, look, they... An MP is subject to all sorts of pressures and all sorts of constraints. So you've seen, for example, like, you know, there's Jeremy Corbyn. On the one hand, he wants to, uh, if you like, d deliver on what the people voted for. On the other, on the other hand, he doesn't want to uh, lead the party in a, in a direction that damages either the country or the party. There's a danger that... The yeah, but you can't do both, can you? No, exactly. You have to make decisions. And what you're saying is that you're, you're angry and you're confused and discombobulated because the MPs aren't just doing what you want them to do. The reason It's not what I want them to do. It's what they were asked to do by the people yes, who voted in the referendum. No, They voted in the referendum for us to leave yeah. the European Union. Right. And they are trying to make sense of that in a way that doesn't damage the country. But you and know as well as I do, Alistair, there are people in Parliament who are doing their level best to make sure this does not happen. You can't deny that. There are people in Parliament who are actually on... There are some people in Parliament who have been clear from the word go that this is a disaster, they don't think it should happen. As it happens, that happens to be my view. There are other people in Parliament, many of them in the government, who voted Remain, but actually are trying their hardest to make it happen. So it's not fair simply to say that all these MPs are out for themselves. They, in the end, we are a parliamentary democracy, they have to make some pretty big decisions coming down the track. And I've always said the reason why I felt we'd always possibly end up 
in the kind of mess that we're in now is because it is a very, very, very big thing for an MP, in my view, let alone a prime minister, to take the country in a direction, to vote for things in Parliament that in their gut they know are going to damage this country. And that's the truth about what we're doing. No, I don't agree with that at all. I think the problem we're facing, the problem we're facing here, Alistair, is that there are people, and you haven't denied it, so I'll assume that you've agreed, that there are some people, I'm not saying everyone in Parliament is out for themselves, what I'm saying is there is undoubtedly a a, a group of MPs in Parliament who don't want this to happen, and they will do their absolute level best. People like Dominic Grieve, I'm not having a go at the Labour Party, I'm saying people like Dominic Grieve are included. Go on. Let me just challenge that idea that they're out for themselves. If that that suggests there's some kind of you know corrupt hidden agenda. No, that's not what I said. Got. I said they don't want well, this to happen. But but listen, D- Dominic Grieve. You mentioned Dominic Grieve. Mm. Okay, he's not. He, he's a Tory MP. He's been elected as a Tory. Yeah. But I think when you see Dominic Grieve stand up, based on his knowledge of the law, based on his knowledge and his assessment of what he has seen and what Brexit means, I think an awful lot of people actually have considerable respect for somebody for whom the easy thing would be to say, do you know what, I'll keep my head down, I'll just get behind Theresa May. Theresa May's deal is not a good deal for Britain. You and I probably agree on that. So when you're saying let's get on with it, do you mean get on with her deal? Well, what I've said in the past, what I've said in the past, and I know that you're an avid listener to this show, so I'm probably telling you something you already know, (laughs) right? But what I've always said, right, is that, yeah, of course there is no such thing as a perfect deal. Part of the problem here is that we've got too many people who are trained lawyers who are doing what lawyers do, which is nitpicking around the actual facts of the matter. Yes, they are, Alistair, and they're trying to make it impossible to get the deal done. And every time any deal is put together, as you well know, there are parts of it that are not great. There are lots of parts of Theresa May's deal that are not great, but it is the deal that we have. And so sometimes you have to do the deal. Right. So that's a very, very fair observation. However, one, I think you should stop pretending these MPs are just there sort of nitpicking. They're doing their job. They've got to look at the detail. You know, the, the millions and millions of people who took part in the referendum, we can all follow the debate, but the MPs actually is their job to look at the detail and to make judgments about it. I get impact. that. I get right. that. And, that's, and that, I think, is what they're doing. And I think, you know, this, it goes back to the point I made earlier. This is what happens when you have this conflict. And it's why David Cameron, I don't know where he is and what he's doing today, but ultimately, this is what has happened as a result of there being, if you like, Parliament, yes, most parliamentarians were in favour of Remain. They've been instructed to do something. I think they're trying their best. My criticism, for example, of Jeremy Corbyn has been, as, and I've, I've said this to you many, many times before, and, and I can't pretend I listen to your programme all the time, you but should. I do listen to it when I'm on it. And <laughs> I've, said to you many, many, I've said to you many times, my worry with the Labour Party is actually that, that Jeremy Corbyn's not been standing up for what people, that Labour people want, Labour members, Labour MPs, most Labour supporters. So this is what I mean about the conflicts in a democracy. And the other point I'd make is, is this is where leadership is so important. And there is no leadership. That's part of the well, problem. OK, right, but we have the leaders that we have. So you, say, you mentioned about, you know, there's always going to be this, this argument against and that argument against. If I go back to something like, you know, something really difficult and really complicated like the, good, the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement, that was difficult. There were, there, was, there were still people today who will have an argument. But leaders have to take 
friend and enemy with them. Yeah, but you're not going to tell me, right, that there were parts of that agreement that people didn't agree about. There were loads of parts of the Good Friday Agreement that many people thought were wrong, but the agreement was the most important thing. And similarly, that's what what should be the case here. And at the moment, the MPs that are dealing with it are not of that mind. What they're doing is, is complicating it, putting obstacles in the way, and if they'd been in charge of the Good Friday Agreement, you'd still be talking about it now. Nobody would have signed anything. No, because I'll tell you what happened with the Good Friday Agreement is that the negotiations were done, uh, legislation was passed, but it was then put to a referendum where people could say yay or nay one way or the other. And you cannot claim, you cannot pretend to me that the deal that Theresa May is putting forward is what the Brexiteers promised at the referendum. You can't either tell me that the Brexit that was promised by Johnson and Fox and Davis and all the the, the, the kind of ultras, you cannot promise me, you cannot tell me that that is deliverable given what we know about the way these negotiations... Well, as people like you always say, Alistair, you know, democracy is a movable feast. You know, you don't always get what you were promised. I don't remember any election in which I got what I was promised. What I can also tell you is that an awful lot of MPs who are currently fighting this promised that they would honour the result of the referendum no matter what it was, and they ain't doing that. No, no, wait a minute. This is what you've got... Listen, Mike, you've got to be be honest about the detail. I am being honest. No, you're not, because you just said, they all said that, that they said they would honour the results yes, of the they referendum, did. whatever, whatever the consequences. No, are. whatever the, listen to what I'm saying, not, don't make words up. I said whatever the result, not okay, the consequences. What, I beg your pardon, OK. Whatever the result, fair enough, that is what they said. But you take, people are saying this morning about Labour's manifesto. Labour said they would honour, uh, they'd, they'd respect the result of the referendum. That's true. However, they also said that they would not support it if, it was wrapped around Theresa May's red lines. But to be fair to them, they've been very, very consistent about that. So, If only they had been consistent about something, that would be great. But why have they even bothered to say that they now want uh, to do what you want everyone to do, which is have another referendum, even though they know they can't get it through Parliament? It's a waste of time. It's blowing smoke up everybody's backside. It means nothing. No, I don't agree with that. Because if, if well, it ain't going to happen, is it? Well, it might. Oh. Look, we're, in a, we're in a state of total flux at the moment. Yeah. We're, we're, we're coming up to March the 29th. If you, look, when we started the People's Vote campaign a year or so ago, whenever it was, I can't remember when it That's was. It's got a bit quiet like, lately, that, isn't it? Well, hold on a minute. We're talking about it now because it's bang slap in the middle of the agenda. Yeah, but everyone's Why? saying it's not going to happen. No, you're saying it's not going to No, happen. I'm not the only one and saying I it. Would, wait a minute, and I would agree with you. That, I mean, for example, the reason why it wasn't put to vote uh, a couple of weeks ago was because it was obvious it was not going to win. I have always felt that once people face up to all of the choices of whatever Brexit is going to mean, being either so far removed from what was promised that it's undemocratic not to put it to a further test, or undeliverable, then... I think there is a very fair chance that Parliament decides, do you know what, we've, we've not been able to resolve this, we're going to put it back to the people. And yes, I think if that was to be voted on today, I suspect it wouldn't win. But just look at how, how fast things are changing on this. And so I, I think but that, I don't think anything's know, changing. There's a lot of wheels spinning, but we're not actually going anywhere. That's my problem. And the reason for that is that Donald Tusk and his mates in Brussels know very well, because they can keep coming out and saying it, oh, there is no agreement in Parliament over this. So they're just going to keep kicking it around and they're just going to keep, you know, vacillating and not doing any kind of deals whatsoever well, because they know to, they don't need to. Listen, 
you, 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 honestly, I know you've got a pretty negative view of people in politics and public life. I haven't the actually. European, That's not true. Well, well, the European this, I think on the on the balance of this last chat of ours, I think it's fair to say. But let me just make a point about the European. I just want them to do their jobs, Alistair. That's all. The, listen, the European Union and the, and and people like Tusk. You can criticise them about this, that and the other. They've actually been very, very clear and pretty consistent the whole way through. Barnier, some time ago, set out all the possible agreements that could be reached. That You know, these guys, have they have to respect their own, their own procedures. They have to respect their own We laws. don't have to. Yes, we well we do actually. What are you saying that we don't we don't we don't sort of agree with international systems of international law? We don't law. necessarily have to be jumping and dancing to their tune That's at not all. The same thing. That's not the same thing. This is what I'm saying. You do. You're saying that unless they all jump to what you want to do, the European Union they have got. When we talk, this is why. Well, you've admitted the negotiations haven't been very well run. So clearly, you would agree with me. Terrible from the British perspective. Yeah. The, Euro- the European Union were clear from day one. They said day one. They said the first things we have to sort out are, if you like, what's been called the divorce bill, the thirty-nine billion and rising, the the, the reciprocal rights of European Union citizens living in the UK and UK citizens li- living in the rest of Europe, and the issue of the border. They said that day one, and we have negotiated. The British government wasted months and months and months with those clowns Johnson and Davis in charge, since then pursuing these fantasies that we can have our cake and eat it, these trade deals that were going to fall out of the sky. I said to you, I've said to you before, once we had made the decision to leave, my sense of the European Union was that they'd be incredibly reasonable, which I think they have been. I don't agree. But, well, we'll disagree on that. Okay. But there, but there comes a point where the UK leaving... We become a; they become their own vested interest, just as we we become our vested interest. That's when negotiations get tough. But I think they've been incredibly reasonable. Here's the thing, Mike. Theresa May, why did we have? Why did they end up with the issue of the backstop? They ended up with the issue of the backstop because of Theresa May's red lines. They actually they came up with that at her request for her. Then what did she do? She went to Parliament. Well, she then discovers said, that nobody wants it. Wait a minute, she went to Parliament and she said, I'm now going to vote against my own plan. They're sitting there thinking, what on earth are we dealing with? These negotiations, she's popped up again yesterday in Sharm el-Sheikh, said these discussions, these negotiations are going on. You talk to any of these other people on the other, in the European side, they said they don't know what they're meant to be negotiating because the British government is not producing anything. Well, all I can say, Alistair, after talking to you for 15 minutes, I don't feel any less confused. I don't feel any less discombobulated or any less negative. Confusing. It is a very confusing set of affairs. It's been it's a consequence of MPs, in my view, legitimately looking at the detail of Theresa May's deal, deciding that it's a pretty rum deal, deciding that there's no way now doing this Brexit without doing pretty considerable damage to the British economy, British lives, British livelihoods. And meanwhile, she, I think her leadership is woeful. She is kicking the can down the road. She's basically decided, I think, I don't know whether it's ego, I don't know what it is, she has decided that the national interest, her sacred duty, is to deliver 
her deal. Well, at least she's trying to do something that the British people have asked her to do, Alistair. We're going to have to leave it there because uh, people are saying they want to get on and talk about this as well. But thank you very much, Alistair Campbell, former Chief of Communications for Tony Blair. I don't agree with almost everything he says, apart from the fact that Theresa May is making a complete dog's breakfast of of it all, and that is true. But at least she's trying to do the will of the people, not what he and some of his cohorts are trying to do, which is to stop the will of the people and to stop us leaving the European Union. Give us a call, 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. We're talking about housing and we're talking, of course, about Alistair Campbell, about Brexit, uh, the shenanigans going on within the Labour Party, about a second referendum, all of that. Uh, Joanne has tweeted, most people moved into a right dump of a flat with people they barely knew. The lav on the stairs back in the day, first person up in the morning, got the best clothes. Yes, it did seem fun. Uh, Then you had time to ponder on it and think of something better. Well, it's true. I think the main thing is you move out of the house that you live in with your parents for a reason. Uh, and you don't move back. I can't believe that there are so many people now who are moving back in with their parents uh, just because they say, oh, well, I can't afford to live anywhere. Well, find somewhere you can afford and move in. It's as simple as that. It'll do you good in the long run. 0344-499-1000. Let's talk to Hannah Hope now, Assistant Showbiz Editor at The Sun, uh, because a rather disturbing story came across uh, our desks this morning, and it has to do with Gemma Collins, who's dumped her boyfriend after he posted a video of her snoring um, and then gave her a load of insults about how fat she was. I mean, presumably knew that when he first started going out with her. She didn't exactly become fat while he was going out with her. Hannah, it's a shocking story and uh, a lesson for us all, I think. It's the showbiz split of the decade. <laughs> um, Gemma, Gemma Collins, who's become a huge star this year, she's always been famous, but she made headlines all, like, all over the country on Dancing on Ice, and then she went to the Brit Awards, uh, formed a very close friendship with rapper uh, and music producer Naughty Boy, um, and James just couldn't cope uh, with her fame and, and got jealous, essentially. Yeah. And then it seems she took his revenge by posting this snap of her asleep. I actually think she looks quite sweet. She's like makeup free. But, you know, obviously no woman should have to deal with that. It's almost sort of trolling. Well, they say, uh, I mean, this is one of the things we, we, this is one of the things we were talking about, you know, this kind of oversharing that some people do on social media, sometimes unwittingly, sometimes wittingly, um, you know, posting pictures of your partner asleep, posting pictures of your partner they may not want you to do. I mean, it's a tricky area, isn't it? Well, she's obviously hit the roof. I mean, she, and I, you know, some people might just think it, it was a bit of a joke, but there's obviously been an underlying um, jealousy going on within the relationship. Uh, and she's hit the roof, thought, this, enough is enough, dumped him. And then he sent her a flurry um, of nasty messages saying that she's got more roles than Greg's, saying that she's a car crash of, the, of a woman, nearly 40 years old, an embarrassment, really nasty stuff. And it just seems that it smacks of jealousy and I can't deal with it. She's comp- Compared it allegedly uh, to the storyline of a star is born. She's obviously Lady Gaga. <laughs> well, she would, wouldn't she? She would be. I mean, do these people actually living. live in in the real world? I mean, do they see themselves not as others see them? <laughs> really does see herself as a, as a star, the star that she's become. Right. Um, indeed, at the, I was lucky enough to be sat on her table at the Sun, the Sun's table at the Brit Awards, yeah. and there were like there were really famous people in the room, obviously like music stars from all over the world, and record execs were queuing up to have their selfie taken with the GC. Really? I'm not lying. People <laughs> the were really GC. excited that I love it. was there, um, including Naughty Boy, he's obviously a Grammy Award-winning uh, music producer, uh-huh. and they've formed a really, you know, work with Beyonce, he's actually worked 
worked on A Star Is Born. And um, they've actually formed a close friendship. And I think he's been a shoulder for her to cry on, not in a romantic mm. way, but in a way that's given her some empowerment, saying you don't need to put up with this. You um, are we going to see her doing some kind of rap, do you think, in the future then? I think we could see a music collaboration with Naughty Boy. She has got a good GC Hammer. Yeah, right. Well, I must say, when I saw the, the piece in The Sun today, I mean, I've heard of Gemma Collins because obviously she's been around uh, quite a long time. She's been in the public eye for the last sort of, 24 months or so. But I did, I'd never heard of the other guy, James Argent. But I'm told, you know, he was more, he used to be more famous than her, but I've never heard of him. He was well. He was he was one of the original cast members of The Only Way Is Essex, Towie, which has been going for a decade now. It was a really big show. It's kind of like simmered into the background. Um, whereas GC, because she of her diva behaviour and her larger than life character, has maintained um, in the spotlight in everyone's at uh, the forefront of everyone's mind. And Arj is just sort of now clinging on to her to fame. And I think there does ha- that does happen in these showbiz relationships. One of them maybe does become more famous, and there is jealousy. No, I think that's absolutely right. And 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 what about this business of posting pictures of of your other half? I mean, should should there be rules set about that sort of thing? I think they should. I think if someone's asleep and they're unconscious, it's pretty dark to be a taking their picture and b putting it on social media when they're not even conscious and awake to realise that someone's doing that. Um, I mean, yeah, potentially uh, Instagram and Twitter should take these things more seriously and even ban people for doing it. It should be seen as a social media crime, as it were. Well, I mean, I mean there was. You know... Yeah, I mean, I know it's different if you're in a relationship with somebody, perhaps. But I mean, there are those who say, you know, there is a copyright issue in terms of your own face and in terms of your own kind of likeness and all that, you know, so you can't really go taking pictures of people and putting them out there without their permission, can you? her face for fame and to boost his own followers. If it was my boyfriend doing that, I would be hugely furious and I'd probably kick him to the curb as well. So yeah, well quite done, right. Steve. Well, okay, so she's shown <laughs> us the way. Well, we'll see where she ends up next. What is she doing next anyway? Well, she's got her own reality TV series following her around the world. Um, filming starts next month. It hasn't officially been announced yet, but I think the interest in her at the moment is sky high. She's got all these high-profile friendships, obviously, with Naughty Boy. She's really good friends with um, Kim Kardashian's BFF, Jonathan Shiban, who I'm sure you haven't heard of, but he's a big deal in America. Really? So she's going to be going to LA to see him. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the sky's her limit. People seem to have an insatiable appetite for the GC. Amazing. Absolutely incredible stuff. Hannah, thank you very much indeed. And not least for taking us away from Brexit for a few moments to try and remember that there's other things going on in the world, albeit uh, quite nebulous and entirely fatuous as well. Uh, But never mind. Uh, If you've got something to tell us about how uh, you kicked out a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife because of something they did uh, post-wise in terms of social media. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. (laughs) The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And keep on wishing. Remember your dream is your only skin. So keep on pushing. You're listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio in association with The Times, Politics Tamed. And we've been talking an awful lot of politics this morning. Uh, we've got other things to do as well, of course. Don't forget, uh, we will not absolutely force it all down your throat. 03444991000, but it is what many of you want to talk about. And we're going to go back to the phones now. Martin uh, is in North Somerset. Hello, Martin. Oh, hi, Mike. How are you doing? Very good to talk to you. I'm fine, I'm fine. I just, I'm just slightly amazed by that earlier interview with Alistair Campbell. Yeah. That was just something, uh, you know, I think he spent so many of his years just uh, telling politicians how to spin around without actually saying anything. <laughs> I, I, was none the wise, I was none the wiser afterwards. No. You know? And, and this, this is a guy who uh, I heard on the radio some months ago saying, oh, the, the country's never been so divided. Right. And in the very same week... The paper that he formed and runs, the New European, yeah. had on the front cover a tombstone with uh, R.I.P. Brexit on the front. Now, who is dividing the country? You know? Well, exactly I, right. I and also, his <laughs> argument largely seems to uh, revolve around the fact that this is such a difficult thing to do that we shouldn't really be doing it. We can't it. do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that, yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sometimes life is difficult, yeah. isn't it? You know, uh, and, and, and the whole, you know, the, there's a battalion of white horse civils. Of course they want, to, they want us to stay in because they've spent 40 years rubber stamping every edict from Brussels sure. and then putting their feet back on the table. And, uh, and then uh, now they've suddenly got to do some work, you know. It, it, it's tough, sorry. You well, know, as I, as I constantly just, repeat, I don't know where all these people <laughs> are coming from who keep telling me how great the European Union is. They never told me well, anything no. like that before. No, no. I mean, I'm afraid I, I you know, I, your colleague um, uh, gets me fuming occasionally, Mr. Whale, when uh. he, he says, give me a reason why, we, you know, what's wrong with the European... I could give him a dozen reasons. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a massively expensive, stupid layer of, uh, extra layer of bureaucracy that we just don't need. What's the point of it? Why have you got 10,000 people in Brussels being paid more yeah. than our Prime Minister? I know she shouldn't be paid a lot at the moment, that's <laughs> Fair enough, but, but that's a different issue. But, but no, it, it, it's nonsense. You know, they build airports in Spain with no planes, and they've got this ridiculous currency that's impoverishing mm. the Mediterranean countries. It's which, which let's not forget as well, Martin, we were told would, would lead to complete rack and ruin if we didn't join it. 
Well, exactly, exactly. These so-called experts have told us this, you know, and about the ERM and all the rest of it. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's farcical. And it, it really, it really frustrates me. But Alistair Campbell, just, he steps backwards into genius. He really does, the way, the way he can speak for so long without actually saying anything. Well, also, I it. thought it was wonderful and, how, uh, how he completely misquoted yeah. me seconds after I'd said something. And I had to well, correct yes, him. you said something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's almost like an, a natural reaction. Yeah. You know, he, he, he has to he has to twist and obfuscate at every anyway. Let's not talk about no, well, it. Well, the one thing I will give him though is that he is one of the <laughs> a few people I do quite enjoy talking to about it because he didn't fall out with me. I mean, there are some MPs who have now blocked me on Twitter who have come on this show oh, before right. and who can't actually <laughs> argue with me and who can't stand being questioned and then they get all upset and throw a hissy fit, you know. <laughs> well, fair play to it. But, 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 but or this second referendum as well. well. I mean, even if we had one, they're now talking about taking um, the, the idea of leaving out of it, yeah. except unless it's on this pathetic deal. I mean, Remain shouldn't be on it because they've already voted to exactly. leave. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I mean, you know, uh, what, what, what about it do they not understand I know. voted to leave? Well, I've got a great text here from uh, Sweeney, a tweet actually, in Welsh devolution uh, referendum, only 50% bothered to vote and the winning side only had a 50.3% margin of 6,000 votes. That was close, but no yeah. one campaigned to rerun it. 52 no, versus 48 no. equates to over a million votes more for leaving. Simply not credible yeah. to claim the second yeah, referendum well, I, on the basis I, was tight. Well, I, 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 I would say to you, and I, I really believe this, that if, if, the, if the referendum had gone the other way, the, 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 the leavers would have just sucked it up and said, OK, fair enough. But, the, you know, but because it went the wrong way for the so-called intellectuals, the, the liberal elite and all the rest of it, it went the wrong way. Their heads exploded and we're all knuckle-dragging racists, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and we, 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 we shouldn't be allowed a vote and, and whatever vote we did is wrong and, you know... It's just outrageous, uh, you know. It may it might suit the Westminster bubble, but it makes people out here steam. Yeah. My no, I'm sure you're absolutely right, Martin. Great call, thank you very much indeed. Daniel uh, is in Epsom. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Mike. I tell you what annoys me about Alistair Campbell. He created Brexit yeah. and now spends his life trying to stop it. He flooded this country full of immig- uh, mass immigration from outside the EU. He didn't cap new EU member states. One of the top two topics on the doorstep in the last six general elections was the economy and immigration. Yeah. He completely ignored us. They wanted to rub the noses of the right in diversity. Now, one of the biggest contributing factors to people voting Brexit was that. So he directly created it and now spends his time trying to overturn it. And, and I'll tell you what really, really makes me angry is that, that if you, I mean, we're going to see a seismic change in our politics unless our Brexit is delivered. And I'll explain why. Because, because the Labour Party today looked like 60-70% of the people in Wales and, and the North are not going to be voting for them. Right. But uh, the, the membership, I'm a member of the Conservative Party. Now, the membership are very pro-Brexit, yeah? Um, I think it's over 70%. So most of the membership want a pro-Brexit. But it seems that our MPs are not. and they work. So who do I vote for? I'm a Conservative member, right, in Epsom and Yule. Who do I vote for at the next election? Because on one hand, I've got some... Um, I would never want to see a Marxist in, in 10 Downing Street. Right. And I think I, everyone's worried about Brexit. For me, the real big worry is that he gets into number 10. The country would go to rack and ruin. Yeah, and but I, I think what, by know, doing what they've just done, you're quite right to say that they have basically ruled out ever getting into Downing Street with Jeremy Corbyn at the head of their party because they've now proven themselves to be anti-democracy. Uh, they've proven themselves to be 
uh, not in favour of, uh, of, of of leaving the European Union. And all of their uh, voters, and, and let's face it, I think 70% of Labour constituencies voted to leave. You know, that's an awful lot of people who are not now going to f- feel any trust in them at all. Yeah, but oh, and then but, but what, what's your other option? Because if you vote for the Conservative Party, people like Amber Rudd, they, they shouldn't even be Conservatives. Philip Hammond, they're not even real Conservatives. Yeah. Their, their beliefs and what they're trying to do are completely at odds with most of the membership. Now, they must know that, but they're almost blinded. I mean, to take no deal off the table, from my point of view, is insanity. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to get made to do it. Now, what... That's almost like trying to trying to do a deal where you've got you've got no iPod. Well, exactly. Well, Julia Hartley Brewer said to me this morning, you know, it is the table. You don't take it off the table. The no deal thing is the table. But personally, you know what I, I really think we should do is I think we should leave first, then negotiate. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree because we are never going to get we are never going to find any kind of agreement in the Houses of Parliament amongst all of these MPs, particularly those who don't want it to happen. They're always going to find a reason to disagree with something. Well, they are, and the thing is, when you when you leave first and then negotiate, it cuts all this BS out. It cuts all this fluff and uh, philandering and sort of making up excuses and obstacles. It cuts it all out yeah. because we're already gone. Then we can agree on how we trade in the future, and I think that's how most people think. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. Great call as well, Daniel. Thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, first of all, I'm going to introduce uh, the experts because, uh, of course, I am one myself with four children. Katie Pullinger presenter and YouTuber at Hey Mummy uh, is on the line. Hello, Katie. How are you? Hello. How are you doing? Very well, indeed. Thank you for joining us. Also, Ben Fletcher is here, who is a a colleague of ours here at TalkSport. He reads the the sports reports over there and knows a great deal about a great many things. He's just become a new father. Ben, welcome. I'm Ben Fletcher. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for for hanging around. Now, Katie, my point here is that why would you be surprised that you would lose sleep for at least six years? I would would suggest it's a lot longer than that. You're also going to lose most of your money, most of your sanity. Uh, and most of everything else you've ever, ever owned. But it's still worth it, right? Basically, just give everything up. Yes, of course it's worth it. But I do want to really make that clear that, you know, when, when parents complain about no sleep, we're not being ungrateful for our kids. We love our kids. We want our kids. But you know what? Sometimes they just leave you shattered. And as you say, it's not just about, you know, babies that don't sleep. You know, as soon as they're 17 and 18 and they're out hanging out with their friends yeah. late at night, I'm not going to sleep then. I'm going to be up awake worrying about them. Then they'll go to uni and I'll still worry. Then they'll travel the world maybe. And I'm going to be thinking, oh my goodness, what are they doing? Are they bungee jumping off a bridge? What are they doing? You know, I think the sleepless nights are forever. <laughs> well, let's let's not put Ben off too much because he's a relatively <laughs> new father and he's just coming to terms with it all. Ben, how are you finding it, first of all? Well, first of all, my wife does a lot of the heavy lifting during the night yeah. because I come into work to read the Breakfast Sports News. So I have all the respect in the world for her and all the mums and, and dads who are up in the middle of the night breastfeeding and bottle feeding and that type of thing. But it, it, nothing can prepare you quite for that feeling of sleep deprivation. No. And, and I guess many of us, when you become a parent, you think of sleep deprivation and you see your friends looking tired and the bags under the eyes and you think... It's all right. I'll be fine. Yeah. I, I, I pulled all night as at uni doing my dissertation. It'll be an absolute walk in the yeah. park. But that moment when you lower your baby son into mm. the cot and you've had one and a half hours sleep in about six weeks yeah. and you creep back to bed and you just hear... <laughs> Yep. another piece of your soul just shatters into a thousand have pieces have you done that thing yet where you take them out for a ride in the car uh, yes oh, yeah. yes done that before down to Tesco at Gatwick and back yeah that was that was fun I mean I've actually driven what the mi- go on sorry so I'd love to know what the mileage is of parents driving kids around <laughs> the, the, the what's the word the eco uh, footprint that Carbon is footprint. behind yeah. parents yeah that's it that's one uh, people just driving around trying to get their kids to sleep yeah but how old are yours Katie 
Mine is seven and three. Oh, and, okay. uh, we had my number two one wake up this morning uh, super early because she'd wet the bed. You know, it's another just hurdle you have to get over. Mm. You get them maybe sleeping through the night if you're lucky. And then something else comes along. Maybe it's a sick bug. Maybe it's a cold. Whatever it is, you know, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you again. And suddenly you are back to sleepless nights again. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, well, I mean, I just came back from a, a half-term holiday with my two youngest, right? Because I was visiting my oldest son, who lives in California. My oldest daughter now lives in Dubai. I mean, they couldn't be further apart. The <laughs> idea that I'm going to spend the rest of my life now running backwards and forwards across the world to see them. But at one point, the 14-year-old said to me, he said, you know, I'd really quite like to go uh, on holiday on my own. I said, so would I. I haven't managed to do that for about 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> I know, when you realise that when you go on holiday, it is not a holiday. All you've done is left behind everything that makes life easier with your kids. Yeah. You've got all the, the play dates and their friends and all of those kinds of things. And suddenly they're in a new place, new smells and new heats and things like that. And suddenly you ain't sleeping on holiday either. So, you know, I mean, I know we're painting a, a horrible picture. They are lovely. We love them. They may ruin our house. They may <laughs> destroy our things, but we do love them. <laughs> we were at an all-inclusive recently in uh, Tenerife. Oh, yeah. And it's the sort of place I'd have dodged, like, like mm. a book, you know, many, many years ago, right. even as, as recently as four or five years ago. But it was all about how do we keep my two and a half year old boy entertained? Is it going to be comfortable for my five month old boy? And they had a great time. But it, it's amazing how much 45 minutes of a kid's disco mm. and a flat Dorada Lager from the, you know, the rubber yeah. bar can actually see you through. Just, I, I call it, I, I liken being a parent to when it first happens and you go through that first period of sleep deprivation, or even when the baby's born, your soul shatters into a million pieces and it slowly comes back. They smile at you a little bit yeah. if it comes back. When they start yeah. sleeping through the night, little bits more come back. My two-and-a-half-year-old's now sleeping through the night as a rule of thumb. We were very lucky that he did from about eight months, but my five-month-old... Don't seems... say it out loud. Uh, exactly. Well, he's about to start <laughs> night potty training, so I'm sure that'll all change. But my five-month-old has got his, uh, t- his top front two teeth coming through, and he's got a cold mm. at the moment, so last night wasn't very mm. fun at all. I mean, that is the thing, isn't it, Case? Your life changes, and my point, I suppose, the serious point, is that a lot of people don't expect it to change really that much and I, I don't know why they don't because I know while Ben's right to say you, you can't possibly prepare for it mm. until it comes it, along you have to really be ready for it don't you? you you do and you think you will be and you know you, you can see the faces of your friends with kids doing their smug little sort of how you just wait faces yeah. and you're sitting there thinking oh you know mine's never going to do this and I'm never going to let them do that oh we're never going to let them cry it out you know we're, we're, we're going to do it this way my babies will only have wooden toys yeah. no plastic <laughs> yeah. in our house you know all of those things and then suddenly you look back and you think what a fool what a fool and you know the trouble is you wander around thinking oh wouldn't it be lovely to have a baby oh wouldn't it be lovely you don't think oh wouldn't it be nice to have a toddler wouldn't it be nice to have a teenager mm. you don't think about that <laughs> further along the line yeah you that's something to look for both of you both of you got that to look <laughs> for so i go and see my kids now i get more i get more out of the dog to be honest uh, who's oh. always very happy to see me i sometimes don't see them for hours on end or 30 year old siblings in my case which uh, are a drain on parents resources yeah. you don't really think about well, that i was going to ask you ben i mean have you found that your social life has completely changed in the sense that you now don't know anyone who doesn't have kids but it's all around nct friends my, yeah. my wife amanda she goes yeah. to coffee groups there's a pink group she went to this morning i went to a farm there's about 16 of them they all kind of share with their issues and it's a uh, one big support group but um i guess i mean for me the hours i work anyway are not 
conducive to going out for a few beers midweek because my alarm clock goes on at three in the morning. And a lot of people say to me, you're quite lucky you get to go to work. You get the escape. You haven't got to deal with baby during the night. And the How do you that... stop the babies from waking up when you go out, though? Uh, well, well, I'm very lucky. I've got a downstairs bathroom in my yeah, house. Right. So as soon as I leave the bedroom and go downstairs, that's it. If right. I hear uh, Finley cry out um, as I'm leaving the door, sorry, <laughs> uh, it's, it's up to my wife to sort out. Run away. Out. Yeah, right, exactly. You run don't away. make a lot of noise deliberately. I, yeah, I try not to. Well, if, <laughs> if I do, it's on pain of death. And yeah. if, if I want to think about oh. having a third child, I need to sort of keep the peace and, um, and, and maybe be a good boy. But no, nobody ever warns you. And you mentioned that wry smile there. Uh, it, I call it the conspiracy of silence. And you yeah. get the, the knowing looks and you think, yeah, it's amazing. My dad once said to me when my wife was seven, eight months pregnant, we were just talking about the future and what may or may not be. Mm. And he said, it's amazing how many of your principles will just fall away for the sake mm. of a couple of hours sleep. And he was absolutely oh, right. Goodness. Yeah, also, Katie, yeah. having a second one sort of is, is a bit like sort of expanding everything exponentially. It's a bit like having four, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and you you get more slack, I think. I think maybe others would argue, but you know, first time round, you know, you're consulting the book. Right, what do we need to do? We're gonna we're gonna try this to get them to sleep through the night. We're gonna we're gonna you know change their their room around. We're gonna shut out all the light. We're gonna do all the things that they tell you to do. Second time round, you're so tired from the first one that you will just do anything. You you know, we we ended up giving her bottles when we shouldn't have given them to her. We you know went in and just. To fell asleep with her in her bed and all of those things that you're supposed to not do supposedly just because we would do anything just to get back to sleep all of us so you know it, it does get harder and the juggle's different and you know it, it's fun in the end but it's just living hard work and like you said at the beginning if you're not prepared for that at the beginning then perhaps <laughs> have a think about whether you're ready for children or not yeah nobody will have any sympathy for either of you of course well no i know he's going to go soon but i mean people who don't have not. kids don't care oh they, they don't they don't get it they and, just and, don't and, want you near them on a plane uh, yeah, well exactly <laughs> and, and we've become those people who take kids on long-haul flights yeah. you know we've become the very people we used to sort of scowl at That's as we it. got on the plane and yeah. you think well it's no. only for a couple more years right and then they'll be 18 and they'll move out and go to uni, right? Yeah. Nope. And then the problems oh, will stop, yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my 28-year-old daughter, who now is making it finally, making it finally bought me lunch. Um, oh, about, wow. About three months ago, um, oh, which was the first deal. time ever she didn't put it on the card that I'd given her. You know, she actually put it on her own card. So, I mean, that was a major step forward. Yeah, unbelievable. Oh, God. Well, the day my son buys me a pint will be a good one, but a long, long time That's to wait a long for that, way yeah. off. Ben, thank you very much. Anytime. Indeed, Ben Fletcher. Uh, he'll be back uh, tomorrow morning reading the uh, the sports news, breaking sports news uh, from about five o'clock uh, in the morning. So, Katie, he he doesn't get much sleep anyway. But um, No, he doesn't. I do shift work too. It's the same. You know, it's just that juggle. You just do what you can to survive. <laughs> I mean, that is the ter- terrible sort of still problem, I suppose, be serious for a moment for women it's a much more difficult juggling act than it is for most men isn't it even now yeah i mean there is that pressure i mean you know i do my youtube channel with hey mummy but i'm also a presenter at qbc and the the shift work there i'll start you know i'm in at seven o'clock and i'm you've got you know anyone's expected as a woman to not show that you're tired from your kids you don't want to show anyone that you know you're not managing to be that working mum. you know whereas dad's goes in and he's either been allowed to have the sleep and I you know assuming your your normal family setup is mum and dad um you know it, it there is a different I don't know just a different judgment for for women than yeah. there is for men right do you think that'll ever change 
I hope so. I mean, obviously, there's things like shared parental leave, but, you know, they're a lot more, well, I say a lot more, some men are starting to take this up. You know, will we be like some of the other, say, Scandinavian countries where you can completely split your your um, maternity leave yeah. and have paternity? You know, they can take, I think, about is it something like six months each or something. I think it is like that, yeah. Yeah, and it is not frowned upon in any way. In fact, it's encouraged. You know, fathers are expected to have that bonding time with their children. I am very lucky. My husband has been brilliant in that he does share a lot of the the, the child work and the baby work and the nappy changing, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we see it as a a tag team. If he's got a particularly big day the next day, then, you know, I'm going to take that that extra hit on, on sleep and vice versa. You know, it, it, it doesn't always work out that way for everyone. A lot of people are juggling more than one job. And, you know, and again, you'll hear people going, well, mm. you know, why do they have kids then? But, you know, everyone's got a right to a family. And sometimes these things just happen. <laughs> they do. But again, that's why I say to, to, to anyone who's listening, you know, it's not something you should do lightly. It's not, you know, I know some no. people, I know not very many people do, but some people do. And then they kind of complain that, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. But, you know, you really, your life does change irrevocably. Oh, completely, and and beautifully as well. And yeah. the, you know, we're talking about the payoff. It's not, you know, I know we were joking about your daughter buying your your lunch, but you know, there is that payoff when when your kids are beautifully behaved or they're being hilarious. The laughing and the fun is is so worth it. And you know, we'll we'll get over those sleepless nights. Oh, of course, maybe. definitely. I no, hope. listen, absolutely no no uh, comparison at all to not having them. So so, Katie, good luck, and uh, thank you very much for spending time with us katie pullinger uh, presenter and youtuber at hey mummy uh, and also at qvc you're listening to the independent republican mike graham on talk radio across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.